0: So, this is a weird one for me to talk about. I feel I say that a lot. Anyways, because it's not really that good. It's not really that bad, either. It's just kind of there. I give this a stamp of popcorn game. Oh, sorry, sorry, wrong feature. Um, So... This is what we call a alternate persona episode. I have no idea if that's the official term or not, and I don't care. But it's the kind of thing that... It's actually a well-established concept when it comes to television shows, especially science fiction was, not just Star Trek. Uh, this is the sort of thing that many, many other science fiction shows have used to, to the same similar effect, um, both past and future, after this as well. What I mean by this is... You establish your characters, and then you deliberately alter them. Thus, the altering is something that the audience picks up on because, hey, you know, we've gotten to know these characters so we can tell something's up. Or we use this as a way to reveal more about these characters. Or we intersperse these characters with one another. Or sometimes we literally just body swap between the characters. Now, in most cases, science fiction does this as a specific attempt to do something with said characters and that's my biggest problem with this episode because it doesn't now don't mistake me it was an enjoyable little episode and i'll probably forget about it as soon as i finish this video and that's my problem with it let me use uh voyager i hate to keep doing this Voyager's an example Oh, there's an episode, and I'm forgive me, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one where the copy of the Doctor is found a few centuries in the future by an alien race who was interacted with by Voyager, and we see the you know the reenactment of Voyager, and everyone's like cartoonishly evil and horrible, right? That is a similar concept to what is being done in this episode. In that case, it was specifically being done to talk about historical revisionism. And of course, was actually a really awesome and surprisingly controversial episode. It also talked about racial bias and prejudice, along with some other things as well. Like, like willful ignorance. You know, that was a great episode. Sorry, sorry for praising it. But my point being, they took the same general launching point and turned it into that. Um TNG, by this point that we've already discussed, has also already had an episode like this. God, I can't remember the name of it. It's it's a really forgettable episode. It's the one where there's the energy being that bounces between people, and everyone acts weird, and then it pops into Picard and beams out into the cloud. You know the one I'm talking about. We've already had that in season one. Kind of forgettable episode. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And that's my point. If you're going to do this, you need to either have established the character sufficiently first, or do something with it to some purpose or effect. And neither the TNG episode, whose name I can't remember, and I'm going to get 700 comments telling me the name of the episode, or this episode have done that. Pardon me. Thus, we get to the first problem. So they don't do anything with it. Right? Well, in that case, it's basically just the characters are acting differently problem. Here's the thing. When you have the characters act differently and you haven't really established those characters yet, I mean, we have a little bit of establishment, and this is true over in TNG as well, but we don't have a lot. Like, the Odo we will come to know doesn't exist yet. Certainly not Cisco, or Quark, or Nog, or Rom. You know, there's a lot of characters that really just have not been properly established yet. Hell, we literally just started Odo's first deliberate, you know, uh, front-loaded story arc last episode, right? What that means is usually when a writer's going to do this kind of, you know, acting different episode, they need to exaggerate it. And again, I keep paralleling this to that TNG episode, which you're all going to tell me the name of, because they did the same thing there. Everyone who was acting differently acted so differently, even someone who isn't familiar with those characters can instantly tell that they're just acting wrong. Same thing here. And it gets a little bit face-palming for the same reason. Now, this episode I do think is better than the previous one, the TNG one, who shall never be named again, but it still just was a little bit face-palming that nobody picks up on how weird everyone's acting, and how completely out of character everyone's acting, especially given how severe of a change it is, and given the fact that two of the people who are not affected, Quark and Odo, are both known for being very observant. Yes, even now, even as of this point in the series, episode 14 or whatever we're up to, uh, I guess I could look over there, episode 18, excuse me, or technically the 17th episode, we've already well established the fact that these characters are very observant. And yet, and I wrote this down, it takes Odo until the 23-minute mark to finally really figure out that something's up and people aren't acting right. 23 minutes into the episode. Now, one other thing, and I do hate to sound complainy about this, because, again, this is still, you know, an averagely enjoyable episode. A lot of time, a huge chunk of time in this episode is spent on the different characters. Now, that's not necessarily bad. It can be a way to engage us with whatever story you're trying to tell, right? Or to make whatever point you're trying to make. But as I've already mentioned, this episode had none of that. It's just them being this, you know, we're fighting against each other, power struggle, uh, telepathic play that's being replayed in their brains, right? It's basically a high concept with nothing else added on to that. So it's just there for its own sake, which isn't that interesting and I don't have much to discuss about. See the problem? So... I have a decent amount of notes for the first part of the episode, and then I have this big thing, and I do these little brackets for certain things I want to talk about, which is just the huge chunk of the middle episode. But let's let's rewind. Let's actually do this in order. So, first of all, the Klingons have gone past the wormhole to find something that will bring the enemies of the Klingon Empire to their knees on a bio-survey? Now, what do you think? Do you think Quark was lying when he said that, which is the simplest and easiest answer, or do you think that they actually did go there to find something to use as a biological weapon with no idea what they were looking for? Because remember, the actual telepathy thing they found was something they considered to be worthless, as we saw in the eventual logs, right? So they 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 go there looking for some great weapon, and they literally stumble onto a great weapon, at least a destructive weapon. Although, well, also I just have to say uh, really quick, the teaser, the cold open, felt a little bit faster paced than normal. And at first I was like, wow, this is our first short teaser in DS9. So I rewound a bit to to check the timestamp and it was 3 minutes and 12 seconds. That's not that short. In fact, that's barely shorter than their average. But they do a lot. A lot of things happen in the teaser and help to keep the pace going. It was actually pretty well done. In fact, it even functions as an excellent teaser because we have the dynamic between Kira and Sisko and the friendship that's already started growing there. You know, we kind of saw bits of that back in progress. Uh, we see the continued political situation for the Bajorans. The, the fact that they still have enemies who, passively or otherwise, supported the Cardassians. So they're against them. You know, we see that we see uh the the klingon ship it explodes oh my god you know gets your attention there and then the guy beams aboard and dies right a lot of good beats happen in that teaser by the way I don't really subscribe to the whole sci-fi debris joke about Cisco. I mean, it's funny, don't mistake me, but it's it I just kind of roll my eyes at it. But I have to admit it was hysterical to me when Cisco says open hailing frequencies and within a second of him saying that the Klingon ship the the Vorcha, explodes. I like to think that that's just has the, the power of the Cisco. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to surrender. No, I refuse very well. Open hailing frequencies. <laughs> Anyways, so I do have one strange question. I know that the transporters are effectively magic tech, but they the Klingon beams off the, the Vorcha ship, right? And the, the ship explodes. And then several, several seconds later, after which the Vorcha ship is long gone, and any transporter beam or technology which would have been beaming him is vaporized, they start having trouble with the transporter showing up, and they have to use the transporters on d Space Nine to get him to come through. Now, we know by the end of the episode that what actually happened was it was trying to beam through the telepathic energy field through as well, right? Sense make. But why exactly does that logic, <laughs> you know? The transporter beam that sent the signal, like, he's already beamed out from there. Now, usually he goes through a transporter buffer, but when you're going to a sp- location, when, when you're finished beaming out, you beam in. So he should have just beamed in or dematerialized and, and been paced. Because remember, the thing that beamed him, the actual hardware physically doing the work, is vapor in space and has been for several seconds. They And at first I thought, well, maybe they were trying to beam it off. But no, they even flat out say, let's use our... Uh, transporters and our beam to try and pull him the rest of the way through now that his transporter doesn't exist anymore now this may all sound like petty complaints but this is Joe Manoski anybody who saw my Voyager stuff remembers I prod up Joe Manoski a lot and Joe Manoski is a great concept author when he's tempered by someone else because he's the kind of guy and I've quoted him directly on this uh forgive me for not remembering the exact wording but he's the kind of guy who just does not give a crap about continuity. He's the kind of guy who champions the literal idea of technobabble. To to explain what I mean really quick. We use the term technobabble loosely. I do it too. I make the same mistake. But literal technobabble is when you have a script and you're writing down and you said we can't beam them aboard because and then there's a little bracket that just says the word tech on the screen on the script. And then someone else comes in later and basically makes up gibberish to fill that spot. That's literal technobabble. It is gibberish designed to masquerade as science, when in fact it is literally just plot convenience. It's something I'm actually very against uh, as a fan and as a writer, because it is basically lazy. And again, it speaks to Joe Minoski's mentality. And that's why I brought up the t- transporter beam thing, because that's a very him thing. There are ways to make that work, of course. But he didn't. He just wrote tech. Moving on. So, I like the idea that Quark is actually irritated by the customers. That's actually a nice little thing, and very apt. Uh The Klingon customers, specifically. Because if you think about it, Klingon customers, you'd have to be really specifically set up to cater to a Klingon market. I'm not saying you can't, and I'm not saying it wouldn't be profitable. Even Quark admits that they pay well. But Given their tendencies, I think is the way I'm going to say that, especially in this particular era of Trek, yeah, I could see why he wouldn't want to interact with them. Which is funny, but anyways. Moving along. So then, Quark asks for a bribe from Odo to get what information he has. He asks for what I would call positive reinforcement. Give me something. So what Odo does then is blackmail him. Blackmail is a form of negative reinforcement. I will not take something from you if you do this for me. I'm not sure what I think about that. It really kind of shows how Quark is kind of being crapped on in Season 1. I mean, this is just kind of a recurring theme. And I do want to point out that when Odo has... ...happened to him, what's the very first thing Quark does? Runs to him to see if he's okay, and then literally runs full tilt for Bashir's office. As I think I've made clear, and as has been shown, even now, again, 18th ep- excuse me, 17th episode, even now we know Quark is not a typical Ferengi. Even all by this point, we can tell he's a pretty decent sort. Yeah, he's a Ferengi, but he's not the kind who's just willing to do horrible things or hurt horrible people or be selfish to the point of avarice. And I like these little touches that help flesh that out. I just wanted to comment on that really quick. But I also want to comment on the fact that Quark is very observant, too, just like Odo is. And yet neither of them pick up on any of this crap. Kira literally picks Quark up, flings him against the wall, and injures his neck. Quark is upset about this to literally press charges. Oh, of course, nothing ever comes of that. Although, given the fact that she literally didn't do it, and, you know... God, could you imagine the judicial system in a setting where mind control or mind alteration is a regular thing? That's got to be a headache and a half. Anyways, point being, obviously nothing came of that, but I I just feel bad for Quark. But at the same time, he probably should have picked up on this. Especially since Dax isn't acting like Dax, and Kira isn't acting like Kira, and he has plenty of evidence of this. Also, just as an aside, but later on we found out that the Ferengi ears are really, really good, especially if they, if they focus. So Cork didn't have to be right over there. He could have been like halfway across the room, or all the way across the room, and probably still listened in on it. Just point it out. At the 14 minute mark, they start really going into the, you need to choose your side, kind of a thing. It gets very heavy-handed, and this is basically the beginning of the boring part of the episode. And I don't want to... that's almost a misnomer. I don't want to say it's boring. It's just, I don't have anything to say about it. You know, Odo barely notices that Kira's off, keeping in mind that it's already been established the two have a working relationship, and if we take all of continuity into account, the two have known each other for an extremely long time, since the days of the occupation. So, he doesn't pick up on it, despite being observant, knowing her personally. Then Kira tries to seduce Dax into serving, you know, into, into serving her, I'm sorry, into working on her side. Which I find interesting, given uh, Mirror Kira, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, and what happens later on with Dax. And then, and I'm just, I don't actually have no, much to say about this. And then I just, I have my note here about the 23-minute mark, when, when Odo finally starts to put things together... And it it isn't until the 33-minute mark that Odo finally starts to do something that would have made this episode a little more engaging. Because from the 33-minute mark onward, it actually gets a little fun. What Odo starts doing is playing along. He starts completely going with them and like, yes, I'm absolutely on your side, Cisco. I will unlock all these things for you. And you know, Bashir, whoever has the power of the energy has the power to control the station. And he just, he plays Bashir, Cisco, and Kira pretty well. And I think that dynamic of Odo interacting with the, the real Odo interacting with the fake them at least added some energy and some enjoyment to most of the other scenes which are otherwise just kinda there. I do want to give praise to the actors involved, by the way. Uh, Terry Farrell, again budding actress, basically starting her career, does a pretty good job of portraying someone who is effectively a completely different character. So does Nana Visitor, and so does Avery Brooks. The only one who doesn't come across quite as different is Colm Meany, because it's, like, Colm Meany basically is such a likable person in real life. And he plays such a likable character that when he tries to come across as villainous, he has to portray himself as always angry. That's his trick. And and you notice it. Watch him throughout the episode. Every time he's there, yes, and he just comes across as if he's scowling and basically forcing his words out. No offense to Cole whatsoever, by the way. I just wanted to give praise that most of the actors did a good job of portraying, effectively, a completely different character. Not the last time they'll do that on this show. Anyways, so, you know, he kind of plays with them and interacts with them, and and I also want to comment on the clock. I know that's a really weird thing to comment on, but longtime viewers of this show, DS9, not my show, will notice that that's actually a clock that stays in in his set, in his office, Cisco's office, for basically most of the rest of the show. It's actually an interesting thing because one of the set designers actually built that real functioning clock in real life for, for the set piece. And they decided to keep it on because why not? The idea that Cisco is actually interested in this is in fact something that they would later take on and, and do something more with. This is another example of backloaded uh, character, uh, character arc, by the way, because they didn't plan this one out. But I do like that insight, again, into Cisco's character. It's probably the only thing that delves into the actual character themselves. His fascination with building and with making things yourself rather than pl- programming a replicator. Cool, cool little t- tidbit. So then they get the telepathic virus thing out the window. Why, was this, why did this telepathic virus exist? Did someone make it on purpose? Or was it a byproduct of something? Did it lead to the destruction of the civilization because it was planted there as a weapon? Or is is was it made in result to the infighting and power struggles of the destruction of the civilization? I forget the name. They they name it in the episode once in the Klingon's uh, recorded log. There's a lot of questions here that you're not going to get answers to because this is Joe Manosky style. Don't think about it. Just here's a cool concept. <sighs> and then the episode ends... And this is probably the first time DS9 has pulled off an end to an episode that actually made me groan. Because, I mean, this is a problem I've been talking about almost every week over the past few months as we've been doing this TNG and DS9 Ruminations over on the TNG stuff on Mondays. So many of the season one TNG episodes end with a, ha, yeah, da 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 you know. And we got to end on either a light note or some kind of little bit of wisdom or everything's wrapped up, number one. You know, it's just something. And then it goes da 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 and then off into the engage, da, 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 da. Psh. and this is the first time they've done this that I that I recall, anyways, on DS Nine, where it's like, "Hey, sorry for mutinying. What's that? Oh, it's a clock. Okay, the end. Pfft, what? <laughs> That's it. Nothing about Quark and his his problems or troubles he's dealing with. Nothing about Odo and how he had to interact with the others or or try to." reinsert him into a social dynamic that he had only just been starting to understand. Like, okay. I'm off notes here. Okay, this isn't something I plan to talk about, but hear me out. What if more of the episode had been focused on Odo? I know a lot of it is, but let me explain what I mean by that. Odo is someone who does like social interaction. I think we've discussed this before, and this will definitely prove true in the future. But he does he's kind of awkward and uncomfortable with it. Got a little bit of social anxiety. I think a lot of us could understand that, so you're with me so far, right? But if you're not, you can at least understand the concept. Odo found a way to fit into the social dynamic of the Kardashian regime. Kardashian regime. Because of the fact, please don't make a joke about that, because of the fact that he was able to slot in, but he wasn't really comfortable with it. Obtain convictions, follow order, do what I am told, you know, blah, 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 blah. He, he, and we, we discover this. We see flashbacks and, and repeats and all this stuff in the future, in future episodes, I should say, of the past. But he was never comfortable with that, and he never liked that. Then, Cardassians are gone. The union has been removed Now he's got to get adjusted to things being completely different than what he's used to. The Bajorans are kind of the same, mostly still angry and violent, but now they're in positions of authority rather than the opposite. And then there's these Federation people who he's never interacted with ever. And it's been made clear, even up until this episode, that Odo just does not know how to deal with these Starfleet folk. It's something that it will take him a while to truly become accustomed to. So he has become, he has been very slowly, carefully, hesitantly inserting himself into this new social dynamic. And then it's utterly changed around him. All of a sudden there's internecine conflict. There's people trying to force, you know, force this sides in this problem. Why not examine more of Oda's reaction to that? Why not have him slip easily into that? Comfortably into it and have several scenes, several minutes of scenes, where he's just naturally playing each other off of each other, kind of like how he does at the end? Because he's used to it. Not from the modern, from the old. Because that's how things were under the Cardassian regime. Lots of infighting, lots of politicking, not just from the Bajorans against the Cardassians. Cardassians were against Cardassians too. And if you remember, there were Bajorans against Bajorans too. So he just kind of slides naturally back into this. And then the key part of the episode, probably when he interacts with Cork about, which is like at the 20-something minute or something like that mark, he sits there and he realizes, I don't actually want this. And he, I mean, you don't have to have him say it outright, but indicate, it's not like he can't act, indicate through Robert, René Béjardois's performance or his interaction with the others that, I don't want to be back in this place again. I kind of liked the new dynamic. I was getting used to it. A lot of people put on a lot of pretenses, but it worked for me. I found people who actually legitimately enjoy each other's company. I started legitimately enjoying people's company. And so then he starts moving to fix this situation at that point, after the court board. This could help to explain why Odo doesn't try to fix this problem until, like, the halfway point in the episode. Then we could still have the people acting differently, And still have it be character relevant. Just some food for thought. Just something that literally came to me just now. I didn't write it in my notes. It came to me as I was talking. I hope you've enjoyed my rumination on this episode. Because I did. I mean the episode, not my rumination. I don't enjoy my ruminations. They're terrible. And I will see you guys next time.